coming up on Why I Move. I really feel that gymnastics is one of the most freeing things that you can do with your body because it takes such control and trust in what you're doing with your body. There's an awareness that you need to have. You're throwing yourself through the air, across the room. You can't be in your head. You have to be in your body. I'm Hannah. And I'm Natasha. We're editors at LUK. And in this podcast, we're digging deep into the highs and lows of our guests' lives as we talk to them about how they move. This podcast is created by Elle in association with Nike. Each episode, we'll be inviting Nike coaches and trainers to join the conversation and share their stories about how movement has affected their lives. This week, we're joined by trainer Aurelie Louise Alexandre. Aurelie, before we start the show and meet our celebrity guest, what do you specialise in? Hi, so I'm specialised in yoga vinyasa, pre and postnatal and yin yoga. Amazing. And how do you overcome times when you don't feel like moving? I just think about the time when I would be regretting not doing what I wanted to do, actually moving. You just have right now to do it. So get up and go for it. Amazing. Thank you. We'll catch up with you later, Aurélie. On with the show. Today, we're joined by Monroe Bergdorf. Monroe is an international activist, model and author, born and raised in Essex. Not only was Monroe the first trans model to front a beauty campaign back in 2017, she's also been part of inspiring panel talks at our L Weekender events. And just last year, she was the first trans woman ever to be on the cover of Cosmopolitan. In recent years, Monroe has been busy. She's presented her own Channel 4 documentary, co-hosted the MTV show Quipiphany, hosted a Spotify-exclusive podcast, written her first book, Transitional, and even been awarded an honorary doctorate by the University of Brighton. Whether you've watched her morning routine on our L YouTube channel, listened to her podcast, seen her on TV, read one of her articles, or simply just follow Monroe on social media, then you'll know that her interests are wonderfully varied. One minute she's discussing fashion and beauty, and the next she's leading the charge for racial justice and LGBTQ plus rights. Munro, welcome to Why I Move. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's such a lovely introduction. <laughs> well, you are our final guest, know, so it's a real so pleasure to have honor. you here. Okay, Munro, seeing as this show is all about movement, mm-hmm. we're going to just do a little warm-up to okay. get the heart pumping. I'm ready. My ultimate workout playlist must-have... Britney Spears. <laughs> Which one? Which one? Which song? Oh, God. Slay for you or give me more. I love it. Yeah. Amazing. Makeup when working out is? A no-no. Don't do it. My dream celebrity gym buddy would be? Beyonce. Wouldn't it? Wouldn't I feel it like she'd really push me. I think she'd be a hard uh, Yeah, she'd be a hard trainer. one to keep up with. <laughs> My workout isn't complete if I don't? Eat properly. My go-to workout gear is? Um, I like to just, you know, just be focused on what I'm doing rather than how I look. Great answer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A sport I'd love to try? Um, I would love to learn how to ride horses. There's something about them that unnerves me a little bit, but I, I'd love to get over that. Okay, final one. The post-workout snack I reach for? Um, oh, chicken. 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 <laughs> Always chicken. <laughs> Get that it's not really in. a snack, it's more just like, <laughs> it's give a, me chicken. The whole bird. <laughs> um, okay, time's up. 
So we would actually like to start by going back to the beginning and discussing your childhood a bit. Uh-huh. Um, I know from what you've talked about in the past that you were extremely good at certain sports. Mm. So we'd love to know what your relationship was like with exercise and movement growing uh-huh. up and what it was like to be part of teams. So I've never really been part of a team. I've never really been like a team player, if you know what I mean. I'm very good at like leading a team, but I don't know. I I tend to gravitate towards sports that are quite isolated. Um, So it's just like me performing. I'm responsible for myself. I push myself. And yeah, as a kid, really, I can work as a team now that I'm an adult. But (laughs) as a kid, I just wasn't really into it. So I loved no, I didn't really love it, but I was very good at swimming. I was good at high jump. What else did I do? Long jump, cross-country running, 800 metres. First of all, congratulations. That is incredible because what an, a well-rounded set of sports as well because you've got oh, you power. Think? Yeah, the jumps are like require a lot of power and then, you know, the 800 metres and stuff is a lot of stamina. So that's mm. like an incredible feat. And I'm very interested because, of course, you know, you were really naturally good at something that a lot of young well in our sort of still heteronormative society a lot of young boys would really crave which is you know to be good at sports and performing sports Mm. but for you it must have been a very different experience yeah I think a a big part of why I wasn't really into playing as a team was because I wasn't I was never really accepted in the team and if I was then it was just purely because they wanted to win and they knew that I could perform so um of course I was part of a swim team but I wasn't really included um within that and they tried to get me to play rugby because <laughs> I was fast <laughs> so I could like be on the wing but yeah. I wasn't very good and I really didn't like the culture so um yeah it was it was a very confused dynamic because I didn't fit into the masculine environment. I was I went to an all-boys school. Mm. So, um, yeah, I didn't fit into that. But they still kind of wanted me within it. Mm-hmm. And correct me if I'm wrong, but you were so good at swimming that at one point you were 11th in the country. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. And what did it feel like to have that kind of recognition and that sense of winning this is gonna sound so bad but it got to the point where I was winning so much that I just didn't really feel that much about it and I was really good at so many different sports that I spent pretty much all my time doing it because I didn't really have any friends (laughs) so my parents were like well just throw yourself into sports and I was like okay well sure but then that kind of like isolated me further so I was training all the time I just never stopped Mm -hmm. and then um yeah I, I think I picked up on the feeling that I wasn't feeling anything when I was winning I was like on the winner's block and I think I felt happy that I, my parents were like proud of me. And then I realized that I was pretty much only doing it for my parents' approval. Um, and then I broke my ankle. <laughs> <laughs> How did you break your ankle, by the way? I was playing rounders, uh, of all things. Oh, rounders is dangerous. Flip. That was <laughs> not a fun summer. Oh, no. <laughs> I know all my friends were like, the few friends that I had were just, you know, all out. And I was like, with my leg in a plaster throughout that summer, that was not fun. But um, in a way, I think, that I needed it um when you're forced to perform you don't really have any time or respite to just process and I needed that time when I broke my ankle to uh process and I just up until that point hadn't I didn't have any understanding of where my anxiety was coming from or where my depression was coming from I experienced depression very very early um in high school 
And it was just from purely from the fact now looking back at it that I just had no space to even quantify where my feelings were coming from. I thought that a lot of it was from being bullied and a lot of it I really kind of like put on the fact that I was queer um, in one of the worst times to be queer in recent history underneath Section 28. Mm -hmm. So it just needed that time. I needed space and I needed to reevaluate my relationship with sport and do it on my own terms rather than just being persistently busy mm, gave you a literal and figurative break yeah <laughs> <laughs> and um what about in the gymnastics arena because mm. you write in your book about how you would often look at the girls performing yeah. and want to be where they so were gymnastics was a whole different kettle of fish i loved gymnastics I just started doing it because I was just, I was just very bendy. I was just doing cartwheels and splits and flips in the playground. And then I went to a gym and again was like kind of outperforming all of my peers and they were struggling to get down to splits and I had like bricks under my legs. And, <laughs> and then I guess as I became more aware of the way that my body was moving, I started to realize the difference between how boys were taught to do gymnastics and how girls were. And the way that I moved my body was very like that of the girls. And I wanted to be on the beam. I wanted to, you know, perform with an arch back and my shoulders back and I just constantly being told to push my shoulders forward stand with you know my hips square and I guess it was like my first introduction into how gender roles operate in the real world mm. I think this is a good time for us to move on to the next segment the starting line which is where we talk about the next part of your life and your developing relationship with sports so when you got to the point where you decided, mm. you know, to transition, did the way that you saw your body in those kind of movement settings, did that dramatically change too? Not initially, but it did eventually. Gender dysphoria made me want to hide consistently. So I didn't go to the gym then that kind of transferred into swimming as well, because being naked in front of loads of spectators on my swim team uh, just wasn't something that was sustainable. You know, I was too scared to use the women's changing rooms through fear of what people would say in the early stages. So I really felt pushed out of a lot of spaces, which is why I'm so, you know, horrified at the conversation going around at the moment with how can we get trans people out of sport the conversation isn't how can we include trans people in sports so that everybody has access. It's how can we stop trans people from competing. Mm. And that's, you know, it's re-traumatizing as well because it's already hard enough for a trans person to exist in public spaces, let alone, you know, in a swimming costume, mm. let alone in public. So we really need to facilitate more conversations and how can we include everybody so in the initial sense I was really just kind of a bit traumatized and I was just kind of just a bit scared and then as I began to heal I was like no th these places are for me too and I deserve to be able to you know feel the water on my body to exist without being in my head I can remember the first time that I got into a pool after I transitioned and I realized how much I actually loved being in water mm. and that it wasn't swimming that I hated it was the demand on me to perform and the lack of space that I had to process how I was feeling so um there's 
a lot of freedom that's come with reevaluating how I see sport and also with gymnastics, you know, modeling, I get to use you know my bendy body <laughs> she's still bendy, she's bendy. can you study the split <laughs> I can't and oh. I'm really bummed out but I guess you know what I actually want to start doing gymnastics again and join a gym I do it every now and again especially when I can get my friends down to like a bouncy room or whatnot bouncy Field. room yeah you never been to a bouncy what room bouncy oh room? my god like trampoline rooms oh so oh, you, every surface is, is bouncy yeah okay just like do flips and, oh nice mm. oh this is something I'm you're gonna have to take me to it's amazing <laughs> yeah I really feel that gymnastics is one of the f- most freeing things that you can do with your body because it takes such control and trust in what you're doing with your body there's an awareness that you need to have you're throwing yourself through the air across the room you just need to be I don't know very just conscious of the the mind-body relationship you can't be in your head you have to be in your body and as someone who struggles with being in their head way too much and thinking about things to the point of spiral a lot of the time it's a really amazing activity to just I mean I'm not even that good at it anymore but I just love to you know get in a handstand or do a cartwheel and just feels very freeing and it also connects me with my inner child a lot I don't know it just feels like I want to spend more time in a gym after this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I had more upper body strength. I, yeah. Oh, don't we all? Um, <laughs> I mean, I can't even do a handstand. I, li- I don't um, think I'd even be able to do one. Yeah, no, I don't. They, they are I, really my hard. My boyfriend sent me a video the other day of him in a handstand position doing push-ups. Push-ups. Oh, wow. In a handstand position. It's like... How? That yeah. sounds very attractive. How though. do you even like learn how to do that? <laughs> <laughs> Is he very muscly? Like, would you think that he was able to do that if you looked at him? Yeah. yeah. You mentioned um, connecting with your inner child. Mm-hmm. And that sense of play, how important is that to you now? And how long has it taken you to kind of come back to that, do you think? It's so important, especially when it wasn't play when I was a child. Mm. And I think so much of my healing process now, everything from therapy to how I navigate my career to my love life is, I don't know, it's all about healing in a child because, you know, that's where our, you know, behavioral patterns really are formed. So I guess just forming new neuropathways and seeing something that wasn't play before as play now is so important and just it brings joy I remember like the times when I really you know was just waking up at like 5am to go to the pool before school and just really just despising the pool and I couldn't go near a pool for ages because it just reminded me of you know being in pain all the time and isolated but now just going to pools and really enjoying it I feel like it definitely like heals a part of myself each time Mm. don't go anywhere we're just going to a quick ad break we've created this podcast with Nike in a bid to uncover what gets some of the most inspirational women moving let's find out how Nike trainer Aurelie Louise Alexandre moves with a quick fire question round are you ready Aurelie? I am. Morning or evening workout? Morning, always. Weights or cardio? Well, that's a tough one. Let's go for cardio. Yoga or Pilates? Yoga forever. (laughs) Exercising indoors or outdoors? Both. Best motivational tip? 
it can only get better. One word only. How does moving make you feel? Stronger. Final question, maybe the most important. What or who makes you want to move? Hmm, right now, I would say my daughter. Fantastic. Now, back to the show. So in this section of the show, we ask guests about any hurdles they've faced or continue to face when it comes to movement. At the age of 24, you began gender transitioning and you've since been subject to a lot of abuse, online trolling, death threats. Are you okay to share a little bit about your experience? Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's been a bit of a journey. I think any woman or person from a marginalised community um, in the entertainment industry will tell you that it's, it's, it's a ride. And um, yeah, it's really about how you learn to deal with it unfortunately, from like regulating how you use social media to what kind of access you grant people to how you move through your personal life. And I think how I move through my personal life was really the kicker for me. So just making more time to do cardio for me is um, something that really, really helps on a control level, on a physical health level, on a mental health level, even like regulating my hormones, Mm -hmm. like being on a hormone regimen as a trans woman is tough. Like (laughs) estrogen is hard for everyone. (laughs) (laughs) It's a, it's a lot. And, um, exercising, doing cardio really helps regulate those hormones. Mm -hmm. And, um, I don't know. I I feel like routine is something that I pushed against for a very long time as a kid. And I was like, I just want to be free. I want want to do nothing. Mm -hmm. And actually routine is something that I really like. Mm -hmm. And just having that sense of I'm going to work out this time. This time's for me. And ultimately it's going to help me feel better. And it's that weird feeling of really hating the gym. And then all of a sudden you're just like feeling a little unsettled if you don't go. Mm. But Yeah, I think it's just carving out that time for me to reconnect and be in my body and be aware of the fact that these things seem so awful in my head, but really they're not me problems. These are people doing things on their own accord and then I take on those feelings and I don't have Mm. to because they're not my feelings to take on. Mm. I think it's you can only control what you can control. Yeah. How has your relationship been with control? Oh, God, bad. (laughs) Really bad up until quite recently. Mm -hmm. Yeah, everything from, you know, mental health to, like, issues with food to gender identity to... It's it's just been quite difficult. And I've written about it a lot in my book um, called Transitional, if you want to get it. It's it's out now. Um, About feeling out of control and then wanting to run away and not being able to generate joy within myself. So just seeking it out and seeing it as a destination. So just being able to get into my body and not exist purely in my head, because that's where that relationship with control is. It's in your head, it's not in your body. And connecting with your body and like having a massage after working out, doing something like gymnastics, like even if it's just stretching, but you're feeling that you are in your body. You're not in your head, you're in your body. Do you do any meditating? No, and I should. (laughs) (laughs) I should. I did do it for a little while. Actually, I 
found my way onto Hypno TikTok. Hypno Talk. Oh, wow. Hypno Talk. What's that called? Um, I found this video of this guy that said that he was going to hypnotize me. Well, hypnotize whoever found the video. Yeah. And and it felt very personal. And um, it was like a seven minute guided hypnosis to rid me of, rid anybody of um, anxiety. And I don't know if it did exactly that, but there was a process of feeling the tingles and the charge and the force, the life force in different parts of your body and going around and around and around your body and just being very aware of the fact that you are not just a mind, you're a body and it's connected. Mm-hmm. And um, I th- it was just really interesting to me to like recognize how disconnected I can be from my body sometimes and the disassociative nature that I've had ever since I was a kid that I think was you know, obviously a, a product of gender dysphoria. Yeah, it's a reminder that I definitely need to do more things to connect myself with my body. And that does, that sounds very sort of transformative if it works. I obviously don't mean to undermine that, but you haven't found yourself suddenly clucking like a chicken or anything. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, I don't, I don't think that the hypnosis element of it necessarily worked. But um, the, the, I think the practice of relaxing at the beginning of it was something that I was like, oh, yeah, that, I think that's something that I can take from this. Yeah. And one of the most powerful things or the powerful messages of your book, Transitional, is the idea that we are all transitioning. It, it's fundamental to humanity that we are changing, not just from day to day, but like throughout our lives. Yeah. And <clears throat> as the trans community has been othered so much throughout history and now, mm-hmm. how important is that message to you and how important was it? when you were writing the book? I think it's really important, you know, especially as, you know, trans people are people and, you know, we, you could have a trans kid, you could have a trans partner, you could have a trans parent, you, you know, we are in cis people's lives. And I think taking the idea of a gender transition away from being the sensational thing that is so, you know, adverse from anything that um, a cis person would experience and, you know, changing how we think about that. And well, you know, we, we all have a gender identity. We all have a sexuality. We all have, you know, an ethnicity. We all have, you know, a lot of people have a faith or don't have a faith, but then, you know, how we understand ourselves is both defined by both of those things. So um, I think it's, you know, looking at the journey of becoming rather than just seeing ourselves as like static and fixed. You know, no one, no female person comes out of the womb a woman. You know, a woman is a process of becoming. Mm. You know, you you come to understand how your race functions in society and how your sexuality functions and, you know, what you're attracted to, you know, the trauma that comes with um, sexuality for a lot of people too in how we have been viewed or objectified or ignored by the world. So I wanted people to think about how they have become and not only that, but how society has developed as a system. And, you know, what was a woman 10 years ago, 50 years ago, 100 years ago is different at every single one of those junctures. Mm. And the way that we understand all of these things has changed, you know. So, um, yeah, I think I want people to go on a journey with themselves and also um, suspend their disbelief a little bit and think, well, why do I think this? 
Do I do I think this just because I've been told it over and over and over again? Could I be exercising a little bit of critical thinking? Yeah. And really, where does you know shutting people out that patently exist? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, where does that get us? Mm-hmm. Because we've we've done this over centuries and it never ends well mm-hmm. um you know who gets access to what spaces it didn't end well when jews were being shut out it didn't end well when black people were being shut out it's not going down well when migrants are being shut out right. so you know are we going to do this with trans people too and also it's not enforceable so um yeah i could talk about this <laughs> all day but um i want people to just you know be a little bit more critical in terms of their thinking and also a little bit more empathetic. Mm. And talking about the difficult periods you've had, how important has the community, your community been to you and and how much joy have they given you? Oh, my joy is in my community. All of my joy comes from queerness, really. I mean, imagine a world without queer people. I can't, <laughs> like it would be so boring. Mm. My joy comes from my awareness of the world that I'm in. And when you aren't aware of, you know, the systems that you're under, you start to think that it's your fault. You start to think Mm. that it's, you know, that there's something wrong with you. And once you can identify that, no, actually these are other people's problems. These are other people's views. Mm. This is not how I need to live my life. It becomes like very free. You can leave it behind and you're just like, okay, well now I can find my joy because I exist separately from that gaze. I've said before that I think that that's why non-binary people are so important because as a binary trans person, not that I see myself as a binary trans person, but I guess somebody who has transitioned in a binary sense, um, I felt a lot of pressure in order to behave and look and feel and, you know, see the world and, you know, conduct myself as a woman in the eyes of, patriarchal society and you know as we all do as women but um I think listening to non-binary people identify how the gender binary works and also how we don't need to do anything that we don't want to do has just been so freeing to me because it's like who is this for yeah like if it's Mm. not for me then who is it for and when I remove that expectation then that is me And then my joy builds upon that. But I can't build my joy on something that's not for me. Mm. And how do you find that um, truth and living your true life plays into your career in fashion? Um, Well, I think that fashion has undergone a huge shift. I mean, looking at, you know, what Edward has done with Vogue, what Kenya's done with Elle, just seeing the change come from the top is so groundbreaking because I think that it's quantifiable evidence that we can change an industry, an entire industry that has been built around the idea of cis, straight, feminine, thin whiteness. Mm -hmm. This industry that's been built around a very narrow notion of what it means to be a woman, mainly. Mm -hmm. You know, it's an industry that's mainly geared towards women. Mm -hmm. And It should be an industry for everybody. So I've just tried to hopefully be part of the change in a way where I'm just being and behaving in a way that I would want to see myself. Mm. Mm. I think that it's just about authenticity now. It's not about selling an ideal. 
or -hmm. a dream Mm -hmm. or wanting to make people feel like they should be someone else. I think it's really about, you know, coming to the table as you are now. I mean, just when you when you said it just then, why would we want to aspire to be someone else or to look like someone else? It seems so mad to me now to think about putting a different person who's objectively not you or anything like you Mm. on a pedestal. Mm. Mm. What a strange, unachievable goal that we've helped set up. (laughs) Well, it's, yeah, it's just, it goes into the system of like, what is beautiful? Yeah, Yeah. aspiration, you know, like feeding that aspiration that, that, is based on people's insecurities. I think also if you can never have it, then you won't stop trying. Yeah, Mm. no, that's the really dark side of it. And also based on a structural hierarchy, which is antiquated about Mm. which person is more valuable than another person, Mm -hmm. you know, which we need to kind of continue dismantling. Yeah. Just quickly, before we move on to the kind of last couple of parts of the show, I've got, what do you do for fun? (laughs) What do I do for fun? (laughs) I try to have fun wherever I go these days. Mm -hmm. I mean, as I'm sure that you've discovered, I can just walk into a room and talk to anybody. Which is such a great quality. We came in, I came into the studio today and as soon as I sat down, we got into like a very deep conversation about the universe. religion and and the universe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) It was wonderful though. No small talk. Just straight straight to infinity. I don't know. Maybe that hypnosis did work. (laughs) (laughs) But um, I don't know. I just tried to see like joy and fun as something that I can't condense to a slot of time. Mm -hmm. You need to do it all the time. And um, I've just been so much happier since realizing that because I'm just like, oh, I don't need to wait to have fun. I can have fun all the time. I think I was scared to have fun Mm -hmm. because I wanted to be taken so seriously at the beginning of my career because obviously there was so much chaos. So I was like, I don't want people to think I'm silly, (laughs) but I want people to take me seriously. Yeah. Um, and now I think that people have come to see me as more of a human being (laughs) rather than this like threatening trans figure who's going to like tell people how awful they are. And, you know, I mean, there's, there's a, there's always going to be like a militant, like, you know, down the line sense of my character, but, you know, just like everybody I'm buried and I just try to have as much fun as I can. You know, yeah. I mean, there's only so much fun you can have at the UN. <laughs> <laughs> but I also love that before you came in and talked about religion, you also came in and talked about how you'd been on a massive rave and like that sounded very fun. <laughs> oh my God, don't rat me out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, started going out again and um, getting back in the rave scene, the queer raves, which is amazing because when I was, you know, growing up, it was just about clubs. Mm. I didn't ever go to raves and it's just so free. And obviously there's so many younger trans girls out now and they're like, you were the first trans person that I saw on TV. Yeah. Like, I remember when I was 12 and I saw you. Like, what? <laughs> <laughs> How old am I? Time. <laughs> but um, it's, it's just, it's great. I mean, yeah. you know, queer culture started in, in clubs and raves and parties. And it's just great to have that part of myself back and, yeah. So it's have great. Have a really good time. She's a, bear, she's a mixed bag. <laughs> <laughs> This part of the show is called Ask Me Anything and it's where L readers have sent in any questions that they've been Oh my god, yeah, I saw. I saw the sticker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, 
Tony wants to know if you have any tips for queer people looking for safe spaces to exercise in London. So I'm not 100% sure, but I think that, you know, the queer community is, is a wide spectrum. So I think it would be really good to zone in exactly what you wanted to do and also how that pertains to your identity. Like what kind of community members would really be validating for you? Because obviously, you know, a, a community of trans women um, may be different to a community of like gay men or lesbians. And, you know, there's those groups online. And um, I think that Instagram is a great connector maybe follow some wellness or fitness queer creators so I think that that would be a really great place to start and look at who they follow look at who they spotlight if you're a young person a young trans person mermaids would be a great resource gendered intelligence would be a great resource stonewall maybe queer youth charities as well I think that, that would be a great place to start Yes, thank Brilliant. you so much that's very helpful um, so Yasmin wants to know if there are any like physical challenges you want to do or set yourself in the future? I definitely want to join more classes and to explore the connection between my mind and my body a lot more. Mm -hmm. Um, Get better at gymnastics. I want to get back in the splits. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know how long that's going to take, but it's a goal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Will you let us know when you do manage to get back into the splits? Oh, yeah, of course. I'll send a picture. (laughs) Um, we've got one final question here from Trish and she was wanting to know what your workout playlist looks like now obviously we've covered Britney at the top of the show but (laughs) what else is on there what gets you moving Um, I love dance music Mm-hmm. So house, techno, I love a bit of 90s dance, like some classic, like Faithless, even like some cheese, mm. rhythm as a dancer or mm, whatnot. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Just like anything that's just like going to get me pumping. But I just, I find like the tempo of like 90s dance, even though it's like majorly cringe, like yeah. some Freed from Desire <laughs> Freed or something. Freed from Desire, yes. <laughs> it just gets me going. And yeah. singing, if you're me. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so now in this final section of the show, how I keep it going, Mm -hmm. we're going to discuss with expert Nike coaches and trainers how to make fitness sustainable for all. So we're joined again by Nike trainer Aurelie Louise Alexandre. Hi Aurelie, welcome. (laughs) Thanks. Um, After listening to Monroe, have you got any tips that you would like to share based on what you've heard her say? Well, I want to add something, if I may say, because as a yoga teacher, I usually teach my my students how to, you know, be okay with who they are whenever's a day, whatever's a the mood happening. So sometimes I would just say unroll your mat, even if you're at the gym or if you can have like a private space at the gym uh, to have, you know, a blindfolded session with yourself just to move and feel your body doing the thing that it can do and just feel, you know, stronger, breathing deeper and just be in the moment. A blindfolded session. So you're literally putting on a blindfold and doing the yoga without being able to see. Yes. Wow. Yes. You know, there is people around you. There are always going to be people around you. But when you put that blindfold on, it's just you, yourself, your breathing and your brain. So try to have that in thought when you move every day. Not comparing yourself, not trying to be too hard on yourself. That's amazing. amazing. Monroe, Thank would you. you ever 
consider that? Oh, yeah. How does it sound? Yeah, great. I'm down for anything. <laughs> I definitely um, resonate with the the sense of, um, you know, taking away your, your sense of sight and connecting with your body. Because um, I read somewhere that taking showers in the dark helps connect you <laughs> sounds so depressing but, <laughs> but um, I don't know it, taking it, showers it, in the dark sounds kind of sexy to yeah, me. Kind of like, romantic. I, sometimes I take showers or have baths with just like, like a, a candle burning yeah. and you can just feel the water so much more because you're not you know stimulated with your eyes so mm-hmm. um, yeah I think that that makes sense and early how um, important is breath work in um, the movement that you teach as a yoga instructor well as i say to everyone even off the mat like it's actually the thing that makes you be alive you cannot be there run laugh cry do whatever in your life if you're not breathing so you have to think about it when you move on the mat uh whether it's for yoga running or any other sports actually any other movement need that connection between your breath that just circulates and gives energy to your body is there some sort of simple breathwork tip that you could share with us that we could all do that would help us start being aware of our breathing a bit more? Yeah, um, we can do the 5-5, five, five, which is like five counts so you can take a deep inhale and five times down so you can exhale really slowly but deeply too. If you want to try right now, we can do yeah, it. Yeah, let's all try. Yeah. You can, are we, can are we breathing through our mouth or our nose? Either you're going to do it through your noses, so it's just going to be deeper, or you can stay to the actual breath that you have, like daily life, you know, in the nose, out through the mouth. Okay. What we all going to do first is take just one breath, not deep, just a neutral one, the one that you can do when you're just here sitting, living. So you inhale. Then you exhale. Right. And now you inhale on one, two, three, four, five. Exhale. Five, four, three, two, one. Inhale. One, two, three, four, five. Exhale. Five, four, three, two, one. Inhale. One, two, three, four. Five, exhale, five, four, three, two, one. Inhale, hold, exhale through your mouth. Wow, I feel great. Me too. Uh, yeah. <laughs> thank you, you f- so much. Yeah, thank, thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. And Monroe, have there ever been times in your life where breath work has been important to make you feel grounded? I think I don't do breath work enough. I I can find myself breathing quite shallow when I'm stressed, especially. And um, I hold a lot of stress in my body. So I think it's something that I've become a lot more aware of, but something that I probably don't do enough or not mindful of enough. Mm -hmm. You actually have like such a fast life. (laughs) So it's normal. But you should like the same way you're talking about, you know, actually working on feeling good and better for yourself, you should think about your breath as the same way. Just mm-hmm. be conscious about yourself and like making yourself a big hug and take a deep breath like your arms are holding you. But then when you exhale, everything is just letting go and it's not that much heavier as you thought. Mm, great advice. 
Thank you for sharing that with us. Thank and you. Aurelie Munro mentioned she would like to get back into the splits. Do you have <laughs> oh, any? Oh yeah, I heard that. Of, Give me some advice. <laughs> yeah, any <laughs> advice or tips on on stretches she can do to help her get there? It's actually like you just have to be regular. I think in one month, if you oh a month, you just practice for an hour. That's an achievable goal. Yeah, an hour. You, you, it's achievable. Yeah, really, but. I would say focus on your hips, just make them stronger too. And maybe, you know, try to learn how to do yin yoga because this one that just seems so simple and yeah, like, yeah, we're just standing in a pose and breathing and maybe sleeping, which is not the case, can have to actually help you and your body to um, navigate around your emotion because hips is so much more than than just you know like bones and muscles so yeah try to find the dynamics moves that gives the strength and the elasticity for your hips to actually try to go for that goal and have someone to help you Thank you so much for joining us, Ollie. Thank you. Thank you, pleasure. I think we've come away with a few things that we're going to go and put into practice. Mm. Absolutely. Munro, thank you so much for being our final guest on Why I Move. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. What a finale it was. Yeah, what a great conversation. Congratulations on the fab season. Thank you. And thank you for listening. We would love to hear what you'll be taking from this episode. Email us at podcasts at luk.com or you can DM us at LUK. If you love Monroe and who doesn't, you can find her on Instagram at Monroe Bergdorf. If you've enjoyed the episode, please share it with your friends and make sure you never miss an episode by following Why I Move on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music or wherever you listen to your favourite podcasts. This was an LUK podcast in association with Nike. Produced by Curly Media for Hearst. We really hope you've enjoyed listening to this series as much as we've loved making it. See you soon. This podcast was brought to you by Nike. We're joined again by Nike trainer Aurélie. Aurélie, what's the overriding feeling when you step off the yoga mat? A sense of freedom because... I've been doing things, I've been moving myself and also rediscovering my body to feel okay with whatever happens. If I fall, if I stop, if I'm just here breathing, I can do all those things without asking for anyone permission to do it. So when I get off the mat, I'm like, yeah, I'm powerful. I can do anything. I'm free. I love that. Thank you, Aurélie.